0: Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now, let me help you discover yours. So, um, there's that, and then we'll be back in the theater—not the first Sunday of um, January because that's New Year's Day—but we will be. Uh, hey, Lunette. Hey, Mignon. We'll be back in the theater on January 8th. Uh, Johnny Almanza, the cello player, will be back with us. I'm looking forward to that. I love that guy. And then um, later in the month, we'll be at the, um, uh, what is that, the 20th and 21st? I'm not looking at my dates right now, but it's, I don't think it's on my cover photo right now, but uh, we're doing Meditation Weekend seventeen. It's going to be in um, Helen, Georgia. If you've never been to Helen, it's really cool. You're going to love it. We're going to have a great time. Can you believe our 17th medit... Yeah, thank you, Ed, the 21st and 22nd. Thank you. I was saying the wrong thing. Yeah, we'll do the... Even though we'll be indoors, most likely, um, I'll probably look for an outdoor place, too, just in case we hit some warm, balmy weather. But probably in January, we're going to be inside. Uh, but we'll still observe uh, a sunset meditation on Saturday, the uh, 21st, and a sunrise. Hey, Jeanette, a sunrise on Sunday, the 22nd. Even if we're indoors, I always that, we let the sunrise and sun, sunset determine our um, schedule for these things. So, got a lot of cool things uh, coming up, looking forward to it, really looking forward to seeing you um, Saturday. We're, we're leaving for New York Wednesday morning, and we'll be up there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, fly back Saturday morning, and we'll see you Saturday evening at the, uh, at the party, event, whatever you want to call it. Um, when I point to me, I speak. When I point to you, you speak, okay? Uh, we're going to do some affirmations. I am blessed, I am a blessing, I am. I am free, I am freedom, I am. Um, I am whole, I am wholeness, I am. I am is the highest affirmation. We always want to ascend up to that. Um, I am healed, I am health, I am. Um, I am peaceful, I am peace, I am. Um, I am well, I am wellness, I am. Um, I am successful, I am success, I am. I have abundance, I am abundance, I am. Beautiful. Let's do uh, two, three breaths like we do for meditation. We're gonna inhale through the nose, hold it, exhale through the mouth. It releases um, nitrous oxide into your body. Oh, it's 11-11, okay, Pam, thanks for the observation. I always like to observe my uh, favorite time of the day, 11-11. All right, here we go. In, hold, exhale inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, give me a couple more, in, out, one more, in, hold, Oh, beautiful. I love the synergy of the affirmations with the breath work. I think it really cleanses the palate and prepares you for what I'm about to uh, share with you. And so I speak into this atmosphere. I say, let there be light. Uh, thanks for the great responses this week for the uh, 1111 streams that I do. I do most nights. I didn't do one last night. But... Um, this week, I did something uh, three times that I really enjoy. I enjoy not only referring to movies and and TV, but especially movies. Um, but I was able to show you some clips and sort of uh, examine them. Let, let me let me say, I don't watch TV. I study TV. I don't watch movies. I study. I rightly divide movies. Uh, because I think they are modern-day parables. I think they're um, powerful teaching tools. And so one night this week, I did uh, one about a um, a little section from the 1972 movie Sounder, and then uh, I did one from um, the—thank you, Pam— I did one from the 1978 movie um, Midnight Express, and I gave you the disclaimer. I'm I'm not necessarily, hey Jeffrey, I'm not necessarily recommending that movie. It's not for everybody. I'm I'm telling you within its context. I love that movie, but I don't, dark movies don't bother me. I I don't always have to have a happy ending or wh- whatever. I I like well-made. Uh, cinema, and that is that. Uh, and then I did um, 1939's Wizard of Oz. That one was a good one. They're all. You just use the hashtag JES one 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 like eleven eleven, and it will bring up all the uh, previous episodes. I'm saying that to give you a disclaimer because I'm probably going to refer to more m- movies in my teaching today than usual, uh, movies and TV, and again, let me explain to you, I, I feel like my referring to movies and television is, is a, um, thank you, Jeannie, I appreciate that, uh, I'll do, I'm gonna do some more of that, I really like that format, I'm glad you get it, I'm glad you guys like it, I wasn't sure you could see the screen, uh, that well, but apparently you can, so that's, um. I mean my my t v screen, so uh, I'm gonna do more of that because i I really in, enjoy that that type of teaching but um what I'd like to explain about this is you know when Jesus taught during his earth walk uh thank you 80, um he was speaking to a uh, culture that was very close to agriculture. These people worked with their hands. They they worked the land. So when he talked about, um, uh, when he talked about uh, sowing and reaping, planting, harvesting, those people had an immediate understanding. If If a modern teacher talks about harvesting, I mean, you understand the concept, but I don't think as much as you would like for instance, when the scripture uses phrases like the latter rain and the former rain, I think farmers would probably, that would resonate with them more than people who have never li- lived or made a living out of, uh, depending on rainy seasons and, and harvesting seasons and that sort of thing. So uh, in my world, I'm not generally speaking to farmers. And um but i I know that you are familiar with pop culture. So if I am trying to make a point and I refer to a movie, uh, you immediately get what I'm talking about. So it's my it's my modern equivalent to Jesus talk in his day, talking about seeds and harvesting and planting. Um, there is a a phrase in a verse of scripture that I use frequently. And I want to go back and look at it. It's uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. The phrase is uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I use that a lot because I think it's one of the most important things that Paul said. I want to go back and show you a few verses before that verse. Um, And to give you some context, Paul... Uh, was a mentor to a man named Timothy. Some people, use, I, I hear more and more people using the word mentee. I always thought the word was protege, but whatever. I've, I've heard enough people use mentor and mentee. Thus I, it must be an acceptable word now. Anyway, um, the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, I, I don't know that Paul would have meant them to be these doctrinal letters that many people consider the word of God. Uh, Most of the letters that he wrote were administrative letters to um, uh, the churches that were part of his bishopric. Uh, Somebody posted a meme this week. It made me laugh. It said, if Paul could see the modern church, or if if Paul could see the church today, the church would be getting a letter. (laughs) I think that's probably true. Uh, but even John, the the revelation uh, is uh, uh, hey Sonia, hey Reba hey Kimberly uh, the 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 apocalypse uh, writing is actually seven epistles or seven letters written to seven churches that John had a connection with in Asia Minor. So um, does that mean we dismiss First and Second Timothy? No, but we have to think of them in the context. Um, in which they were written, okay? So when Paul says to rightly divide the word of truth, he was specifically telling this to his protege, Timothy, or his mentee. Um, Some years back, somebody wrote me, it was a good letter, but somebody said, I love the way you deconstruct the Bible. And at first, you know, it kind of triggered me a little. I thought, oh, is that what I do? Deconstruct? And I thought, well, that's what Technically, that's what rightly dividing the word means. That's why when people say, is the Bible the word of God? I say, well, it's got the word of God in it. It it can connect you to the word of God. But the word of God is the thing that, uh, that when the scripture says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about the ongoing word of God. David said he heard it in the heavens. The heavens declared the glory of God. The trees of the field clapped their hands. Everything is speaking. The word of God is everywhere. The knowledge of the Lord fills all the earth as the waters cover the sea. To just limit the word of God definitively to these, um, what is it, 40 writers in the Protestant canon in a 1,500-year period who who wrote this um, collection, this tabiblia of uh, a library of books, and to call that the Word of God, period, is insulting to the Ancient of Days. Uh, the Word of God existed before the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, not in the beginning was the Bible. The Bible was a collection of writings put together by um, men. Uh, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. You're you're gonna. You're going to really flow with what I'm about to say. And by the way, you've been slamming this week in prophetic mode. I don't always comment on them, but I'm, I'm always wowed by your writings. Anyway, um, uh, in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the theologic, the logic of God. A group of men in North Africa, centuries after these writings, got together and... Uh, decided what was the canon or the collection. There were originally 300 um, uh, gospels. Uh, they winnowed that number down to four that they believed met their criteria. I do believe the scriptures are inspired. I do not believe they're infallible. I don't think they claim to be infallible. I think the Bible, I know I say this every time, but you need to hear it because I, I have new listeners all the time, the Bible writers would not only be shocked, I think they would be horrified by modern bibliolatry. I think the modern Bible writers would be, some of them might be bemused to see how people in the 21st century will take a thing that they said 4,000 years ago and create an ism out of it when they were just, they were trying to understand God in their generation. They were trying to tap into transcendence. And um, and I always say this as well. When Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he was flanked by Moses and Elijah. And Moses, in that appearance, was not holding the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Um, I, I I feel quite certain that if any of the Bible writers were sitting with me on this sofa, they'd be like, "Thank you for saying this," uh, because bibliolatry is bibliolatry is really the, in many ways the um, the genesis of the Antichrist spirit in the earth, because um, in the and I always say this. But you know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. um, In the International Standard Version, it says the written text kills, but the spirit gives life. And there's something about a word. I'm not saying words shouldn't be transcribed, but um, uh, you have to really know how to discern when something's been written down. Because once it's written down, it has a tendency to become static. And um, like if you show me something that I I wrote in a letter to somebody in 1975, it might not sound at all like what I would sound like now. I mean, when I read, um, uh, I check out A Year in the Now every morning, my devotional that came out, and the first printing came out in the year 2000, or maybe 2001. And um, it's in its fourth printing. When I read it now, I read vernacular that I think, that doesn't even sound like how I would talk now. But we still sell it because that's where I was at that time. And people still enjoy it. And most people who are with me where I am in my journey now know how to discern that. They can read like, oh, wow, I like what you said 23 years ago, but I really, really love what you're saying now. Okay, so in um, I'm going to start in verse eight, and I'm going to read down through um, verse sixteen. Okay, Um, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, "Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead." And listen to this, he says, "Raised from the dead, comma, according to my gospel." Let me read it again. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, For which I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying for if we, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord. He's talking about your congregation. Timothy was a, a young pastor. He says, remind your congregation of these things, charging them before the Lord, not, to, not to strive about words. This is the second thing I want you to remember. Not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Then verse 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. The 1611 version says, study to show thyself approved. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not, Need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Two things I want to point out to you is the phrase from verse 8, where he says, this is the truth according to my gospel, according to the gospel of Paul. And then in verse 14, he says, this is my gospel but don't strive about words, okay? Now, what's interesting about that is of all the forty thousand plus Christian denominations that that, that there are that exist, they nearly all came out of people striving about words, striving about split interpretations of the scripture. I remember um, Years ago, I was preaching, and when I talk about these things, they they nearly seem like I'm talking about another life because I don't. None of this is part of my reality now. But uh, but when I pastored a megachurch, there were people who were all over the map theologically, and it was not unusual for me to be preaching, and somebody be sitting out in the congregation going. Or like this. Uh, sometimes they would be people who were in leadership in the church. Uh, and I would always think, why do you even come here? Because you know this is what I teach. Why do you keep sitting? This is like going to a Chinese restaurant and being upset that they serve mugu pan. That's what they serve. Uh, and I remember one time after one of those services, a guy came up to me and he said, he said, uh, I'm going to have to leave the church. I said, Okay, why? He said, well, you don't really preach the word. I said, can you explain what you mean by that? He said, well, like, to, for instance, tonight in your teaching, you said, Jesus said, whoever the son, you no, know, he says, if the son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. And I said, okay, what, what's your point? And he said, the Bible says, if the son shall make you free, not if the sun sets you free. It says make you free. So if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, uh, not preach the truth on that, I don't know if I can trust you as a pastor. And I said, well, you do know that in many of the other translations, I mean the words make free and set free, which I'm not really sure what the difference is, but they're constantly used interchangeably. And he said, no, 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 I only believe in the Authorized Version. So. Apparently, he was a British man who lived in uh, England in the 17th century because unless James, the king of England, unless you were uh, living under his reign in the 1600s, there's no way the King James could be the authorized version. Uh, it didn't claim to be the authorized version. It wasn't even the first English translation. So, um he had to leave the church because I said the Son will set you free instead of make you free. I said, okay, well, go with God. I hope you can I hope you can find a pastor that will preach the word, I guess. Um and the first thing I want to refer to in movies today, when when Paul said uh, this is the truth according to my gospel. It reminded me of a scene from the 1988 movie directed by Martin Scorsese called The Last Temptation of Christ. It was made from a movie by, I'm going to say his name wrong, N- Nico Cant- Cantizakis. It, I, I know I'm mispronouncing it, but it's a... It's, uh, uh, Yes, it was a weird encounter, Pam. And I've had so many of those over the years that this is why I don't answer people when they want to strive with me about words because I've already had so many ludicrous conversations. And Paul himself said, striving over words leads to vain babblings. It leads to insanity is basically what he's saying. Um, Before I finish my thought, about um, the last temptation, there are several people on Facebook that I don't even know, but I like the things that they post, and uh, frequently I will share something that they posted because I think, oh, I like that. That really, that really resonates with me. That doesn't mean I absolutely agree with everything that they post because they post a lot of things that I read and I think, eh, I don't know if I would interpret it that way, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong. They don't have to be wrong for me to be right. It would never occur to me to say, dear so-and-so, I usually share your stuff, but I cannot endorse this latest thing that you... like." It's not even... Like, I have no spirit of Karen in me. I'm sorry, Karen uh, Strimke. I I know you you hate that. But a Karen now is somebody who's just having to straighten everybody out. It usually has to do with privileged white women who call the cops on every black person they meet. But it's kind of even a broader... There are spiritual Karens out there. And if your name is Karen, I apologize. But I'm having to use it because you know what I'm talking about. Who... Um, they just have to set everybody straight and everybody has to agree with them on every, they, they strive about words constantly. And this is why they're depressed and and freaked out all the time because they, it's like Jesus said, they strain at gnats and swallow camels. So I can read something, that I won't say any names, but I can read something that somebody posts and I think, yeah, I probably wouldn't post that because I don't really see it that way but it, but tomorrow, uh, (laughs) that's funny, but tomorrow they may post something. I'm like, oh, now that one, okay. That one deserves a share. And neither of those, those things are not mutually exclusive. I don't have to read, um, something that they write that I'm, it wouldn't be my interpretation and I think, oh, well, this disqualifies them. No longer, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? No, I would just look at it and say, huh, that's an interesting way that you turned that diamond and picked up a facet on it. That wouldn't be exactly what I see, but okay, I get it. That's, that's, that's cool. And and maybe at some point I may read that and think, oh, that's a valid point. Okay, uh, but I don't have to just constantly sit down and try to correct everybody else because there's always going to be somebody who doesn't see things exactly the way I see them, which is why when somebody's constantly striving with me about words, I'm like, look, namaste, 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 namaste. You don't have to agree. I'm not demanding that you see it this way. I'm just presenting this to you. If I am a voice in your life and this resonates with you and produces fruit, then yay, I'm not trying to start a doctrine or a denomination or an ism or an organization. I've been in all of those things. Those things make me crazy. I'm not anti-denomination, but when I see people strive over words and strive over words and, and just continually split hair, strain at gnats and swallow camels, it's, it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. You are missing, you are so missing the point uh, of of the message. Um I'm going to talk about Dolly Parton in a minute. I'm going to talk about her Christmas special in a minute. But just let me finish my thought about The Last Temptation. Uh, back in 1988, when this came out, the evangelical voices back then, especially um, uh, Jerry Falwell, they, you cannot believe the hay they made out of this. And all these Christian groups were going to the... Uh, Theaters where they were showing this movie and picketing it because they said it is a movie that shows Jesus having sex and, all, and none of that was true. What the last the, what the novel is about is because um, I can't think of his name. Kat, Katzenacius. It's a it's a long Greek name that starts with a K. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. I should have written it down. He was a very devout Greek Orthodox man. I think he had been a priest at one time, if I remember correctly. And so he writes a novel. It is fiction, just like the Da Vinci Code was fiction. And people were doing whole uh, teaching seminars on the Da Vinci Code. I'm like, do you not under? Have you not ever been to a library? You don't understand what fiction is versus nonfiction. I mean, really, you don't understand? This is a novel. Uh, I mean, even the scriptures have to be rightly divided. Can you imagine how much wiggle room you have to have with a novel? Anyway, um, the the premise of the book is that Jesus is dying on the cross and an angel comes to him and says, thank you, Doug, Nikos Kazantzakis, Thank you. I appreciate that. I knew it was a long K name. So in in the novel, the um, which the um, the film is pretty true to the novel. I mean, it's a screenplay, but it's it's basically the same thing. Um, I mean, you know, when a when a novel is used for source material, they still have to write a screenplay. They still have to have a script. They don't just open up the book and read every word out of it. it would, I mean, movies would be eight hours long if, if, if they did that. Yes, thank you, Ed. Google is our friend, absolutely. Hey, I've, I sent money to Wikipedia this week because I use it so much. Anyway, um, in the novel, an angel comes to him while he's on the cross and says, you don't have to do this. Um you can nobody's requiring you to do this you can get down from this cross and so the angel takes the nails out of his hand and he comes down at the cross and he goes on and he lives um like a regular life he marries mary magdalene they have children uh i think i haven't seen it in several years but i think he continues ministering maybe or maybe he just becomes a carpenter. And in the final, spoiler alert, in the final scene, come to find out it's a it's a dream that he's had. And he does die on the cross. It's not blasphemous, it's not a it's not a passion play that you would see at First Baptist, but it's not at all what evangelicals said that it was. And um, Willem Defoe plays Jesus. And when I've referred to this before, I think I said that. Harvey Keitel played Paul, but it, I was wrong. It's Harry Dean Stanton. Because I went and looked at it again this morning on YouTube. And there's a scene, I love this scene. Because this is still part of the dream sequence that shows, you know, what it would have been like if Jesus had just decided to live as a as a human man instead of living as what we believe that, you know, he was. So... um it shows him years later and he's walking somewhere and he comes across Paul preaching and it's played by Harry Dean Stanton. And Paul is, he's talking about his conversion on the road to Damascus and um, um, he's saying that a bright light blinded him and he he preaches the whole resurrection. He says Jesus was crucified and on the third day he rose again and he came to he gives this it's a great message that he preaches he says his his resurrection brought light to the entire world so jesus in the crowd because you know paul never met jesus in real life um so jesus in the crowd walks up and says did you ever see jesus after the resurrection and he says no but i saw i saw a bright light and he said many of his disciples saw him, and um, so they end up talking, and Jesus says, look, you're lying. He said, what do you mean I'm lying? He said, that's not true. I didn't die on the cross. I, I've lived my life. I've enjoyed my life. And, and Paul says to him, no, he said, look at the faces of these people. They need a resurrected Jesus. Jesus. He said, that's not a lie. I'm going to preach a resurrected Jesus. He said, if I have to kill you myself and resurrect you, these people need a resurrected Jesus. And Jesus says to him in the dream sequence, well, it's a lie. I wasn't resurrected. But when he said, it's not, I just, I'm tired of arguing with imbecilic, immature people. So I don't even engage in arguing about stuff like this. If you, If you look at that movie and you think it's blasphemous, you're very, very shallow. Uh, You're very incapable of of interpreting a piece of art. Um, But the reason I wanted to bring that up is um, uh, Paul writes to Timothy here in verse 8, and he says, this is the truth according to my gospel. This is how I've seen it. And you know, as I tell you often, and wrote about in my last book, Paul's epistles were quite different than the than the gospels. I'm not going to. I'm running too far behind to go into all of it, but uh, on so many things that Jesus said, Paul said just the opposite. Things like um, like Jesus went to every party and was a friend of sinners and hung out with all the wrong people and said the sick ones need a doctor. Paul was like. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. What um, uh, alliance does Christ have with Belial? Touch not the, uh, be be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's just one. You know, Jesus said, um, uh, you have one, he said, don't call, he said something about don't, call me father, you have one father who's in heaven. Paul says, though you have many fathers, I'm your father. I mean, it's nearly like Jesus and Paul are adversarial against each other. And as I I always tell you on this, it's largely because the gospels were written after the epistles to correct the things that the that the, the men who lived in Jerusalem thought Paul had gotten wrong. Which is why the scriptures have to be rightly divided and why you shouldn't strive over words. Now, what's that got to do with Dolly Parton? Okay, Dolly Parton, everybody loves Dolly Parton. One one thing that's uh, unusual about her, and it's interesting that Reba's on here because, uh, yes, exactly, Doug. That's what what the whole premise of the movie. Long before... Dolly Parton was well known. I think this is even before she worked with Porter Wagner. She was a huge fan. Her her father was a uh, church. Grandfather was a church of God preacher. My grandfather knew him. And um, so she was a big, she was raised in Pentecostal church and a big fan of gospel music. And I don't know if Reba's still on here, but Reba told me one time that the Rambos were having uh, breakfast in Nashville and Dolly came in and wanted to meet them. And Get their autographs, and then years later, uh, they the Rambo's sang with her on Porter Wagner show. You can see it on uh, YouTube. And then uh, uh, one of the last things Dottie ever recorded before she transitioned, she, uh, Dolly sang with her uh, uh, her song "Stand by the River." Uh, so you know she loved gospel singers well did I tell that right Reba that she was like when she met met y'all for the first time she was so enamored because to her gospel music started Elvis was pretty much the same way you know that that to them the end all be all was gospel music so anyway um Ken had told me about Dolly's uh, most recent okay I said it right um and I we went to see her in concert a few years ago, and she did a section where she sang gospel music just unplugged with the guitar. It was so powerful. I mean, during Precious Memories, we were sobbing. Anyway, um, one thing that's unusual about Dolly Parton, she's one of the few megastars that everybody likes. I mean, country music fans like her. She has a huge gay following. Um, pop stars like her. You know, people who are extreme right-wing like her, but she's friends with Jane Fonda. I mean, she's like a real embodiment of inclusion, all about you know everybody's. She, I mean, she really, really believes in that. But he had told me yesterday. He said, "Did you?" Because he was out at work this week. He said, "Did you watch uh, Dolly's Christmas special?" I said, "No, I forgot it was on, but it'll be on Xfinity. We'll watch it when we get back." So we did. And he was telling me about she in in this special she does her song "Go to Hell" that came out a few years ago, and it's a song to the devil. Okay, so really, she resurrected that for a Christmas special. Okay, so if you watch it, it's it's just funny. I mean, it's the music's incredible in it. Uh, the storylines, you know, is what it is. The whole story is about Dolly trying to she wants to do a Christmas special that has snow and uh so when they have technical troubles uh she believes it's it's the devil so they have a guy real handsome guy that's playing the devil and she's she does this thing where and even ken said he's said, i love the part where she preaches in it because in the in the preaching part yeah she <laughs> yeah john you know you know she went to a uh a competition where the drag queens were playing her, and she entered the competition. She won third place. <laughs> she wasn't considered the most dolly, dolly. Uh, anyway, um, so in you know I'm I'm watching the thing. She's in this red outfit, and they're dancing, and she's dancing with the devil, and she's telling them to go to hell. You go back to hell, and everything. And um, of course, I know there's nothing about this theologically that I agree with. But it would never occur to me to say, I'm gonna write a letter to Miss Dolly Parton and I'm gonna tell her, I'm gonna send her my school of the Bible and tell her you know, what I believe about hell and what I believe. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. Like just enjoy the song and stop being such a jerk about it. And, and there's another sequence where she stands in front of uh, um, a uh, nativity scene. it's all white people with a white Jesus and you know, that's her view of things. Um, I can tell they made an attempt at diversity. They tried to include some people of color in it, which they did. Um, But at the end of the special, she comes out and she says, I hope I haven't, oh, in the beginning of it, she sings a little bit of uh, He's Alive by Don Francisco. a guy that I knew years ago. We had him on a TV show. but anyway, at the end of it, she says, I, um, I hope I didn't cr- something to cram Jesus down anybody's throat. Because I used to hate when people did that to me. But this is just the way I see it. And it wasn't, it's like I, I appreciated what she had to say. I thought, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I don't, there's no point in me saying, I'm going to write a letter to Dolly Parton and say, Jesus wasn't white. And the devil's not real. I mean, it's ridiculous. Just Enjoy it and shut up, and stop striving over words. Um, I mean, I the the dialogue and stuff was oh, there's a song they do called "Which She Does" with some of her family members. That was very moving. Uh, called "When It's Family." She sang. She was flanked by two of her sisters, and I guess a bunch of uh, nieces. And in the, the lyric of the song, she's talking about people in her family, and she said some are preachers, some are gay. She's very inclusive to the gay community. And, um, and she does a, uh, a song with Miley Cyrus, who, you know, just yesterday at lunch, we were, they were, Kid and I were, it was a Miley Cyrus song where she's singing about taking Molly, and you know, the drug Molly. And I thought, you know, Dolly's completely non judgmental. You know, she's telling you her Jesus story, and she's not yelling at you. She's not saying that you're going to hell. And so I thought, all right, this is a classic example of the same way that Paul said, this is the truth according to my gospel. Um, That was the truth according to Dolly Parton's gospel. So if I'm going to be in her world for an hour, then I've got to lay down my... um, sensitivities about theological teachings of hell and what I think Satan really is and isn't. And, and just like, that's not what it's about. It's a, it's a Christmas uh, special. Just enjoy it. That's why, you know, this week when we go to New York, um, uh, Thursday night, we're going to go to the um, St. Patrick's Cathedral and I'm hoping the woman that I love who sings O Holy Night every year. I'm hoping she's gonna sing it. Last year we went, they were singing, was it last year? They were singing with masks on, it was really really weird. So I'm hoping that's not the case. I don't mind people in the audience wear masks, but not the singers, because I couldn't hear what they were singing. And then Friday night, we're going to see Mariah Carey. And I love to hear that woman at St. Patrick's sing O Holy Night. And I love to hear Mariah Carey sing O Holy Night. I know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. I know that. I know that the story of Jesus is very similar to the Zoroastrian story of Mithra, according to some scholars. There's other scholars uh, of that religion that say that's not necessarily true. Yes, I know Dionysus also, did a, a thing that was very much like the Last Supper. I know there's a, I, I know all of that. Um, to me, the people who strive about words are on both sides of this. You've got the fundamentalists who are obsessing over um, uh, things like make you free versus set you free, things that are that ludicrous. And then you get other people that are so afraid you're going to teach out of the Bible that they're like, oh, the Jesus story, Jesus wasn't born in December. Yes, I know. I know it's all about the winter solstice. I know all that. I just want to go here, here, oh, holy night, and enjoy Christmas. I know a lot of it came from the pagans and the druids. I know, I know. I know. Shut up. I just wanna hear the song and I wanna cry and I wanna to wait to hear if she hits the high note and I wanna hear Mariah do it. And I understand your point. I take your point. I don't even disagree with your point. It's just I just wanna watch this musical and not overthink it. Okay? So and this is gonna sound like I must watch T V all the time <laughs> because I'm referring to it so much, but last night we were sitting here and we had, we had watched several things, and um, periodically, he and I both dozed off at different times during things we were watching. And so, at this particular part of the evening, we also went to see that movie yesterday, um, uh, Spoiler alert! It's true story. It was good. It was we cried. It's it's good. It was Sally Field and Jim Parsons. True story about a gay couple that one of them dies of cancer and what his what his husband went through. with it's 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 good. I mean it's I mean it's a tearjerker, but it's I mean it's good. It was nice to see. Um, a gay story where the parents were cool with them. I was not I was just glad to see that. Like the the movie was not about homophobia. It was about their story of, of what it's like to lose uh, a husband or a wife. And it was um it 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 was good. Um so later in the evening we were he had kind of dozed off and I for some reason I turned over to um uh, the Disney, I have Disney Plus. And I was just looking through some of the um, uh, older animation. Um, you know, some of the Disney movies. And I just clicked on um, Lady and the Tramp. I think it was made in 1955. I hadn't seen it in years. So I was just going to watch a few minutes of that. And it comes on at the beginning uh, with this disclaimer. And it says... This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. There, there's several things that would, like the Siamese cats who saying, you know, we are Siamese if you please. I mean, you know, all these things that are not politically correct now. But I thought this was interesting. It says this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of cult- people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now rather than remove this content we want to acknowledge its harmful impact learn from it and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe i thought that was excellent and i know Obviously, I have more of a liberal or progressive bent, but I thought we ought to, we ought to put that in every, uh, every translation of the Bible. <laughs> Say, I know there are things that are are, um, are here that are not the absolute truth that we walk in now, but we're not going to delete them because we think you should see them. They, these should be rightly divided, Okay. And I think I, I'm not an advocate of cancer cancel culture like I don't think uh, like I understand um I understand the problems with going with the wind. I also think going with the wind should not be uh, removed. I think you know if you do first of all, you don't see Hattie McDaniel's incredible performance who was the first African American to win an Oscar. so I do think it needs to be shown with a disclaimer to say this in no this movie in no way accurately predicts, I mean, um, portrays American slavery, or at least not the wholeness of it. Were there slaves that probably had, you know, affinity for their masters? Probably. But this isn't isn't a documentary about slavery. Look at it in its context. And if I were African American, I probably wouldn't be that um, uh, generous about that. I probably wouldn't even want to see it. I think there needs to be um, an openness in this way within reason. You know, by the same token, I also think, no, Kanye, Hitler's not good. There's no good side to Hitler. Like, you know, I'm watching this interview with him where he says, I'm not going to say something negative about the man that invented this microphone and highways. I'm like, Kanye, yay. Uh, Hitler didn't invent the microphone or highways. I think you may be referring to there is some urban legend that says some technology that came from the Nazis might have been used in microwave ovens. But no, when you're dealing with Nazis, there's no both sides to that. There's no, can we see, there's some good points to Hitler. No, no, no. Um, that's just an excuse for anti-Semitism. And, you know, if you can't tell the difference between those two things, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but the other things I was going to mention, they have to do with movies, and then I'll make my point. This has struck my ear twice lately. Uh, oh, I don't know, Brenda, that would cut. If I did Oh Holy Night, I'd have to charge y'all extra. Um. Well, <laughs> I can't come from just hearing Mariah Carey sing it the night before and then me try to sing it. Well yeah, no, there's not good people on both sides. Exactly, John. Sorry. No, there's not. Now, if you want to say there's good Republicans and good Democrats, yeah, I'm down with that. I'll say, but if you say, you know, these anti-Semites who are marching saying Jews will not replace us, no, there's no there's no good side to that. And If you can't tell the difference between that and what I'm talking about, I have no idea why you've listened to me this long. And don't write me and try to correct me because I'll just, I just delete you. I don't care. I don't care what you think. But two things that I've noticed lately, um, two or three weeks ago, uh, you'll gladly pay. (laughs) Okay. I won't say no, Brenda. We'll see. We'll see. Um. But um, I'll see maybe if Corey can play it in a key that I can sing it in. It's that high note. It's just the, the whole thing on Oh Holy Night becomes about that high note if you can hit it. And sometimes I do, and sometimes, I don't know. Anyway, um, so a few weeks ago, Ken was here, and we were, we, somehow we ended up watching Brokeback Mountain. I hadn't seen it, I saw it in the theater. Oh, Lord. Now, look what you started, Brenda. Everybody's one. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. I hear y'all. We'll see. Um, I, I saw it when it came out of the theater years ago, but I hadn't seen it in several years. And I, I noticed this, that um, the movie's about these two cowboys that, you know, they fall in love and end up having this uh, affair for years. But when they're first getting to know each other, They're sitting around a campfire, and they're just, you know, making small talk, and something comes up about God, and, um, the, um, Keith Ledger character says, he says, I was raised Methodist, and, uh, okay, Earl, it's possible, we'll see, um, And then the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal character says, well, my mama believes in the Pentecost. And he said, what's the Pentecost? He said, I don't know, but she believes in it. And I I just remember, like, when we watched it the other night, I thought I had forgotten that he said that. That was interesting, that people are aware of the Pentecost but don't really know what it is. And then it came to mind again yesterday because... um, also during the day, we ended up watching the first... We were home pretty much all day yesterday except for we went to see the movie. And we got some Mexican food. But um, we watched the first two um, episodes of George and Tammy about uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette, which is funny because... Um, what's her name that plays Tammy? Um, Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Just last year she played Tammy Faye Baker and now she's playing Tammy Wynette. And um, uh, somebody asked her in an interview, they said, are you just playing Tammy's now? She says, no, actually I've been working on both these projects for years. They both just happened at the same time. But anyway, um, she plays Tammy Wynette. It's. I mean, it's it's entertaining. Uh, but when she first meets George Jones, he says, and he says something vulgar about it, but but he says, for some reason, he says, uh, <laughs> I love Jessica Chastain. I loved her in The Help, by the way. But um, he says, I was raised in the Pentecost. And I thought, that's so interesting. That's two movies I've heard lately that somebody said something about the Pentecost. Even this movie about Elvis that came out a few months ago, because uh, Elvis was raised assembly of God, they show a, it's really interesting how they do this thing. Like when he's first gyrating on the stage, you know, doing his thing, they shoot back to a clip of people laying hands on him to get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he's, he's shouting like that. And it shows how he took that to the stage, I thought it was a very interesting uh, connection. What's that got to do with rightly dividing the word? Well, here's the point I want to make. First of all, because, because it's Christmas season, you've heard everything that I've said in all these years about Jesus wasn't born in December. He was born first week of April. I mean, I, I know all of those things Intellectually. Now that I know that, I want to acknowledge that and say, "Yeah, I get it." Uh, but I also want to just enjoy Christmas. I wanna, I wanna to go to St. Patrick's Cathedral Thursday night and it feel like Christmas. I don't want to sit there and think, "Oh, this is because of the, because the Druids uh, honored the winter solstice." It's like it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all the same. That's why I wore this. Sweater today with Jesus and Santa Claus. Like, Jesus isn't mad at Santa Claus. Uh, It's, you know, Jesus and Santa Claus are both according to your gospel. Because every one of us, whether you think you do or not, every one of us has our own Jesus. We have our own... uh, Yeah, I know you've heard of the Assemblies of God, John. (laughs) Um... We have our own Holy Spirit. You say, no, I have the Jesus. No, you have the Jesus that you believe in. And what happens is when somebody talks about a Jesus that some part of him sounds unfamiliar to you, if you're not... What it really comes down to, it's not not even a matter of you protecting your theology or contending for the faith. It has to do with your own self-esteem issues. Like... Like if an atheist says to me, I don't even believe in God. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. There's nothing in me that says you'll be a better person if you believe in God because I've known too many people in my life that believed in God who were complete criminals. So I don't know that that necessarily is going to make you a better person. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you, everybody, if you'll just get saved and believe in Jesus, you all become nice people. But it seems to me Christians these days, as a rule, are the meanest, most hostile, most opinionated, most judgmental group, at least the ones that, that post stuff online. I don't see anybody, I don't see any Christians that I know, I don't see them talking about the goodness of the Lord. I see them just completely pissed off at everybody. And even the ones that talk about Jesus coming back soon, they don't even sound happy about it. You know, I'm, I'm like, what happened to the lift up your head because your redemption draws an eyepiece? I thought y'all were supposed to be happy about this. But it's all about the end of the world and, and what's happening to people and all about pronouns and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is what y'all have devolved to? So what's that got to do with what Paul wrote to Timothy? It's this. When he said, Timothy, this is the this is the truth according to the gospel according to my gospel. Without even realizing it, Paul was he was implying this may not be the truth according to your gospel. He's saying this is the truth according to my gospel. Like for instance, I've used this example before. But John Newton, who wrote this, the the great classic uh, uh, "Amazing Grace," they did a, a wrote a Broadway show about it years ago. He was a slave trader, very involved in bringing Africans over across the Middle Passage, and when he had a conversion experience, he realized the error of his ways and renounced the slave trade so when he said amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me he was specifically referring to the wretchedness of the slave industry and he says uh i once was blind in other words i didn't see how horrible this was because of my theology because of the gospel that had been preached to me there's um there's a passage in Huckleberry Finn, which I, I believe Huckleberry Finn should be read by people, and I don't think they should take the N-word out of it. I think that's a slippery slope. I've never used the N-word. But I think in that context, if you, if you keep uh, censoring books, you're not, you're gonna, we're going to be living in a fascist state at a certain point. There have to be books out there that you don't even agree with. And again, I'm not talking about putting swastikas on Twitter. Surely you can tell the difference between that. There there comes a place where you say, yeah, m- maybe not Nazis and slave owners, okay? Um It's not just Florida, Maria. It's it's every it's in other states too. Um It's just Crazy, like even this woman who the, the Supreme Court just heard this thing from this uh, evangelical woman who builds websites. And they, this, what they've heard is she doesn't want to be, uh, no one's at, no one, no gay person has asked her to do anything. But she has brought a case to say, just in case, I don't want to build a website for a gay couple. And, I want to say to her, sweetheart, there's no gay couple in the world that wants your homophobic self to do anything for them. It's a non-issue. but she's so afraid somebody's gonna ask her. And I want to say to her, I'm not believe me, I don't want to I don't want you to build a website for me either, but where are you going to draw that line? If you don't want to build a website for homosexuals, are you going to interrogate everybody that comes into your store? Or, or I mean, are you going to make sure they're all born-again Christians? I mean, what, how are you going to do that? Are you going to monitor their life? Uh, where, that thing that he talked about in verse 14 about striving over words, it makes you crazy. Um, what, did he, what did he say exactly? What was the... Um, and I'm getting back to Huckleberry Finn and just moment. thank you Earl, I appreciate that. Um, and a lot, there's a lot of African-American scholars that also believe that. Because Mark Twain in his generation was trying to say something against racism. He was speaking in the vernacular of, of the time. Um, but he says in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to ruin to the ruin of the hearers, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase more in godliness. In other words, the more you obsess over minutia, the the less you're going to notice the really big issues. But my point is, and there's a um, there's a passage in Huckleberry Finn where you know he's friends with an escaped slave who he calls N-Jim, okay? N-word Jim. And um, he's writing in first person, Huck Finn is, and he says, I can hear Jim in the next room crying and I think he must miss his children like I miss my family, but I'm scared to think it I'm scared to think that lest I damn my soul to hell. And I think that's so telling because this is the only way slave traders could justify uh buying and selling Africans like they did because they they according to their gospel they bought into the idea that if you take children away from a black person it's like taking puppies away from a mother dog they don't they're not going to remember them they like they they're not really human, so they don't have souls. But what's interesting is that the Huck Finn says, I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I even acknowledge that a black man has a soul and misses his family. That, to me, is very telling, not just about the culture, but about the theology. So... You're not under obligation to believe everybody's gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul said, Timothy, this is the truth according to my gospel. And Paul was defensive for himself. I mean, on, on another occasion, he said, I didn't get this by revelation. I didn't get this by commandment of the Lord. But he said, I am an apostle. In other words, my my uh, uh, opinion does count for something, which, okay, touche, Paul, fine. But the point is, if someone else's gospel doesn't sound like yours and it, may, it gives you the impulse to want to force them to have your gospel because you believe your gospel is the gospel, then you are a manipulator and you have control issues. You just do. If, however, you have the Spirit of Christ, this is, let me tell you what the Spirit of Christ will say. Disciples come to Jesus. They say, There's this man over here. He's preaching, he's casting out devils, he's healing the sick. We don't know who he is. We didn't vet him. We don't know what he really believes. Uh, we didn't sanction him. And Jesus, he doesn't say, Yeah, go find him and let's give him a test. I want to I want to send him several verses of scripture and I want to know what he thinks about it. No. He just says, ah, it's fine. Those that are not against us are for us. This is the thing. If I read somebody post something that's not exactly how I would interpret something, I don't take it personally. Why? Because I have a healthy self-esteem. I don't have to believe that you have to be wrong for me to be right. I don't have control issues. I'm not a manipulator. So I can look at that and go, huh, Interesting. That's an interesting take on that i I will even I'll think about that I'll consider that and that might be something that uh, I will incorporate into my own teaching which is why one thing I'm not saying this is completely unique to me but i'll I'll tell you it's rare I know I teach things I didn't hear anybody else teach I, you can't google it and find where I got it because believe me it came from that source that I believe is the Holy Spirit, that thing that I call God that is an inner voice in me. The reason I can tell you that is if I have something from somebody else, I will always credit them. I will always say, this is like so-and-so said. Even this morning, I guess he didn't see it, but I wanted to give an anecdote, something that Rutherford had told me years ago, and I messaged him this morning. I said, if you see this, before I teach at 11, call me because i got something I want to ask you. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to tell the anecdote, but I wanted to make sure I told it correctly. Like I wanted to make sure I told about Dolly Parton meeting the Rambos. I wanted to make sure that I hadn't just heard that through my my own filter. Uh, Reba was there, so she knows that's exactly how it happened. So at some point, you have to recognize that you can hear somebody else's point of view that might not be exactly yours, and it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person because you believe a thing a particular way, and the more you know who you are in God, the less you're going to feel compelled to make someone think exactly the way that you think, because it doesn't matter Yes, it does matter. We have to contend for the truth, baby. Let me tell you something. You're never gonna, you're never going to find an absolute truth that everybody agrees on a hundred percent. And the Christmas story reminds us of that because Matthew, I mean, yeah, Matthew and Luke tell very different stories and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell completely different stories about the resurrection. And I'm glad it's written that way because you see, there is no story of record. This is the way those individual writers saw it. If indeed they actually wrote it, we don't even know, but if that's how they wrote it, then that's fine. That's how they saw it. That's how they told it. That's how they heard it. It's okay. At some point, you know, there's a scripture uh, in, I think it's in Galatians, I want to say Galatians 5, something, that Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, Be careful about, he uses the imagery of biting each other. He says, Be careful that you don't keep biting each other lest you devour each other. And when I go online and I see, so much relentless bickering like even this week you know Brittany griner gets released and people couldn't just be happy about it like everything meant something so much more i'm like can't you just be happy can't you just be happy that an american was released from russia and believe when they say they're working on the other ones that they are working on it does every is there is there just is there anything you can just go oh that's cool she would like, no, everybody's got to express their opinions about gay people and about being woke and about people breaking the law and about the other. Like, I, I understand discourse and I, I understand all of that. And that's why I'm glad there's a two-party system. But sweet Jesus, it's like it's on everything now. It's like I've gotten to where I'm careful who, if I even use somebody's quote, because if I use somebody's quote, that if, if they didn't do everything exactly right, people, you shouldn't be quoting Henry Ford because, you know, he was a Nazi sympathizer. Like, okay, yeah, he was. You know, I wasn't making a statement for Nazis, but okay. So I've gotten to where now, if I, there's just a, a small group of people that I quote from. And the ones that I do, I Google them to make sure, like, let me see what I'm going to be in for, because buddy, everything you put out there now, you got to be ready to defend it. You know, there's no, there, there's no just like, uh, you know. Um, so, did I, did I enjoy the Dolly Parton musical um, Christmas? Of course I did. It's great. It's Dolly Parton. Does does that make me believe in hell now? I, I hope you, I hope you saw that. Bishop Dolly believes in hell and the devil. I'm like, no, that doesn't change any of my theology. That was her song according to her gospel. And when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, this is the truth according to my gospel, but you study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not be ashamed. You know what he's saying? He's like, Timothy, get your gospel. Get your own gospel. And if most of it coincides with mine, yay. But in the meantime, don't strive over words, over stuff that's in the big picture, not gonna matter. That's why Jesus said, I'm gonna make it simple for you. Moses has given you 633 commandments. I'm just gonna give you two. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, Rutherford posted something about commandments this week. He had to defend it. And he was just talking about, about love. It's like, I don't know. Do people just sit online? Are they just perched? Like just waiting? Like, ah, I disagree. I'm like, wow. If you're that disagreeable, I'd I'd be curious to know how many friends you have. I'd be curious to know how much, what, what your family thinks of you. Because when you, that's, You just can't go realistically through the world if you don't learn to choose your battles. And, uh, you know, there's just some things. uh, Yeah, they are. Exactly. Um, There's just some things you got to look at and say, oh, well, that was um, that was the gospel according to them. That was their gospel. Okay, so Paul says rightly divide the word of truth, meaning. If there's parts of my gospel you can receive, then walk in that. I'm a spiritual father to you. And if not, don't strive over words. The very fact that he says, teach them not to strive over words was implying this out. Find this out for yourself. The very fact that he says, don't strive over words was basically saying, don't build doctrines out of revelations. Revelations are not supposed to be doctrines. Once you make a revelation, a doctrine, you suck the life right out of it, and it becomes a dead thing. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. All right. That's all I got. I guess I'll be back on tomorrow night for 1111. I don't know, John. Who knows? Who knows? what? I guess people just haven't read the Bible. They just find about the Bible. Um. If you want to uh, support the ministry, thank you for doing that. This month we gave to uh, Empty Stocking Fund and also to the movement. Uh, congratulations to Judah. He had a, uh, a doctorate conferred upon him this week. Uh, so he is uh, he has a doctor of divinity, which I'm super proud of. I love you too, Reba. Uh, I'm super proud of him, and they're moving into their building. They're doing a GoFundMe, so uh it's got my name on it but it was metron that gave the money to um uh the building fund for the movement and uh so congratulations to judah i'm super proud of him and i'm glad for what's happening in their church um if you want to uh thank you ed um if you want to uh, give to me personally i have all the i have all the uh, uh payment apps um I'm hoping to see everybody on December 17th. I think it's going to be really, really good. Yes, thank you, Elwood. Elwood uh, put the Movement Church GoFundMe on there. And any of you that want to give to that, I absolutely would sanction that. And um, uh, thank you to those of you who give to me personally. I appreciate it. And thank you for being proud of my son. I'm proud of all, all four of my children. They are my three sons and daughter in whom I am well pleased. And um, uh, I believe that is all, all right? So just relax and enjoy. Go watch a movie and enjoy it and don't overthink it. and, And just relax. Just have a glass of wine or pray in the Spirit or do whatever works for you according to your gospel. And I respect it. Namaste. Peace.